Our scripture reading for today is Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 22. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? The word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, Welcome. Uh, We are in the middle of a a series of sermons. Uh, I've entitled... Sacred Pathways, based on a book by uh, Gary Thomas, and we're looking at different ways, uh, different pathways, as he describes them, uh, in loving and in uh, worshiping God. And so uh, we started with the uh, naturalist, those who uh, connect best with God uh, out of doors, in nature. And last week we looked at uh, the sensates, those who uh, like to worship God through their senses. And... um, I want to thank uh, those of you who sympathize with me about the the coffee and microwaving it so I didn't feel like a total, you know, weirdo. Uh, Thank you for that. Um, And so today we want to look at the traditionalists, those who love God best through uh, ritual and symbol. Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for um, making each and every one of us in a unique way and designing us in such a way that we can pursue you and love you Uh, differently. And in whatever ways that may be for us, God, help us to uh, explore some of these other pathways so that we might really love you more deeply uh, this year uh, with all of our being. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So traditionalists uh, are nurtured in their love of God through rituals and symbols. Uh, A ritual can be anything that is uh, repeated, regular, or customary. Um, today, for example, after uh, uh, Sarah read, you know, this is the word of the Lord, we all said, okay, that, that's a ritual right there. Uh, our, our entire liturgy, uh, the way we uh, organize our worship service, that is also a ritual. And signs of our faith, like, um, you know, like the cross, uh, the communion table, these are just symbols uh, of, our, of our faith. Um, Gertrude Nelson talks about how God created the world of ordered space, matter, and time out of the chaos. And and she writes, through ritual and ceremonies, we people, in turn, make order out of chaos. So so rituals and symbols, we we order uh, in some small way what God has done. In endless space, 
we create a fixed point to orient ourselves, a sacred space, which is here. To timelessness, we impose rhythmic repetitions, the recurrent feast. And so rituals are a way of um, making uh, order that uh, is a kind of example of what God has done in creating order out of the chaos of the universe. She likens this to um, what you might see at, at a beach. When children play on the beach, you might see them like dig in the sand, and then as the, as the waves come in, uh, a little pool of water will get um, captured uh, in, the, in the little hole that they might have dug. And so it's, it's like that, she says, where you know, the, the immensity of the ocean, the, it, you know, the, the, the power, the, the volume, uh, it's too large, right? But, but when a child digs a little hole, it captures a little bit of that. And that's what kind of sacred space and symbols uh, can do for us. It's, a, it's one way of entering into uh, the enormity of God's glory. Um, I grew up, perhaps as many of you did, um, in what I can now describe uh, as a very low liturgical church church. Uh, the church that I grew up in, uh, the churches I grew up in, were you know similar to this. Were pretty plain. There were no stained glass windows. There was uh, not a lot of um, things for the senses, um, and also there was very little ritual in terms of liturgy. We, we didn't follow the liturgical calendar. There was no sort of this sort of um, rhythm uh, to our life. Uh, then in college, I was involved with some uh, campus ministries. And uh, what passed for liturgy then was even, even less. There was like no liturgy, right? Um, you know, typically you get together around eight, you know, and then you'd um, sing a few songs. Somebody might come up and um, give a message. Um, there wouldn't even, sometimes there might be a music stand, but, t- you know, a lot of times they just would hold a Bible in their hand. And then somebody would make a few announcements. And, and that was kind of it. That was, you know, there, there was no real uh, ritual uh, and my, you know, I thought that, that's good because in those days, I think one of the things that, um, impre- that was impressed upon me was that uh, Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion. And so there was a kind of a, a deliberate effort that, you know, we don't want to get bogged down in all these sort of trappings of churchiness and religiosity. We just want to have kind of a, a heart devotion to God and, and we don't want to be stuck in these sort of meaningless repetitions and rituals and, you know, symbols and, and, and things like that. So I, I understand that. I appreciate that. Um, as a young man, you know, I found that very appealing. Uh, it made sense to me. Um, but I've noticed that as I've gotten older, uh, maybe this is just a sign of age, um, I find rituals increasingly helpful for my own discipleship. Uh, the writer Kathleen Norris Uh, describes herself as a Presbyterian Benedictine um, because her faith was revived as she began to worship with a group of Benedictine monks uh, near where she lived. And so she talks about how um, after high school she kind of didn't go to church for a while and then she was drawn back to the church kind of inexplicably uh, by these group of local monks. And And she writes this. She says, ironically, I think it was the Benedictines that kept me at it. I'm married, I'm not Catholic, but when I started attending their liturgy, they would sing or recite psalms, have a Bible reading, and some prayers four times a day. 
being able to say and hear poems out loud was a whole new approach for me, even though it's about 1,700 years old. It really nourished me and made me a better Presbyterian. So that's what I'm shooting for, to uh, have rituals that will make us better Presbyterian. I I know this is uh, truth of my own life and experience. Uh, Certain rituals of the church that I didn't even know about or rituals that I discarded or people told me, uh, you know, they they criticized it for being, you know, uh, too Catholic or something like that. Um, I find that now uh, that you you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater, as they say. Um, For example, our weekly communion. Um, I was looking over my notes and it's already been six years since we started this. I, I thought we just did this like started a couple of years ago, but we started in December of uh, 2012, <laughs> six years ago. Uh, that, that's a long time. Um, you know, back then, I, I, I had a conviction through some reading, through some conversations that we ought to have weekly communion. And so, so we started doing that. Uh, I, I didn't grow up with it uh, in the churches that I belong to. And so you know, it only took me nine years uh, as a pastor to figure this out. Um, and we have other kinds of uh, ritual services uh, in our church, as you know. Uh, things like the Good Friday service, New Year's Eve, uh, the, the Christmas uh, lessons and carols. So these are ways of trying to, um, to make small uh, entry points uh, into, into the chaos and the rhythms of uh, our time. Uh, these, these ordered ritual moments uh, to capture something of, of God's glory. Um, <clears throat> a few years ago, some of you may remember, I, I mentioned a passage from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 46, uh, where Ezekiel has this, like, this incredible, powerful vision uh, of God. Uh, and then he's given instructions uh, about the worship ritual. And God tells Ezekiel this. He says, But when the people of the land come before me at the appointed feasts, He who enters by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by way of the south gate. And he who enters by way of the south gate shall go out by the way of the north gate. No one shall return by the gate by which he entered. And I thought that was just an incredible, um, makes no sense. Like, why would you do that? It's probably for logistic reasons so that people didn't jam the entryways. But uh, I, suggest, I suggested to you, you know, we have two doors. They're not north and south, but we have two doors. And so I suggested you make it a habit, a ritual, of walking in one door and then walking out the other door. Uh, so I, that's, I've been doing that. I, I always walk in through that door um, and I always walk out that door. Uh, again, not as some weird superstition, like, you know, uh, step on a line. It's... It's not that, but it's, it's a, again, it's just a small reminder that I want to I walk out different. You know, I, I want to come in and I want to have, have an encounter with God. I want to hear something. I, I want to uh, sense some presence of the Spirit so that when I walk out, as a sign of that change, as a sign of that encounter, as a sign of having been changed and transformed, you know, I, I want to go out a different door. Just as a small reminder uh, to myself. To, to ritualize uh, that moment. Um, we, we see this, uh, you know, throughout the scriptures, over and over again, uh, the Israelites and the people of God were given these rituals to help them remember, to kind of physicalize uh, in their movements, 
the worship of God, right? Just even things like just weekly Sabbath services um, and feasts that occur uh, periodically throughout the year. Now, of course, we want to be careful that we don't, uh, that these things don't become, um, you know, superstitious displays of, you know, empty uh, religion. Uh, We don't want to just kind of look like we're doing all these sort of religious acts uh, we don't want to practice our faith to be seen by others. We don't want to be like, uh, you know, whitewashed tombs where we're all rotten inside. But I think there are rituals uh, that we can establish that can help us in the worship of God. Uh, I like the distinction that the theologian uh, Yaroslav Pelikan makes. He writes, tradition, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Tradition is the living faith of the dead, right? That is, there are good traditions, good rituals that, that carry on the good faith of those who have gone before us. Now, when we get sort of stuck in traditionalism, where we're just kind of doing things by, you know, because it's just routine, then it just becomes a dead faith uh, on our part. So I, we don't want that. I don't want that. But, but I want to continue certain rituals and maybe even establish some new ones uh, that can nurture my faith in continuity uh, with those who have gone before us. It's the same thing with symbols. Uh, just as the elements of communion, the bread and the wine, point uh, to uh, and are visible signs of an invisible reality, uh, other symbols uh, can also point us in the same direction. They, they can act as reminders because you know, it, it's so easy to forget. I mean, think about, you, know, you come in here, uh, you hear a sermon... And before you even leave, you've forgotten what you just heard. Maybe it was a bad sermon, but it's, it's, just, we just, it's so hard to remember things and to keep things uh, upon our hearts. And so we want to have ways to try to, to remember that. Um, you know, even people, when they have um, potentially life-altering experiences, the memory of that lesson doesn't really last, right? I mean, people who might have a, a, a major health scare might change their diet and exercise for a few weeks or a few months. But then right after that, you know, they go back to you know, not exercising and eating potato chips, for example. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about what, when he was in prison during World War II, uh, he talked about how whenever the, um, there were air raids and bombs were being dropped nearby, the prisoners would all like just, they would be crying out to God, they would you know, make these promises of change. But almost as soon as the bombs stopped, they, they completely forgot about it and went back to their you know, normal uh, routines. It, it didn't have any sort of lasting impact uh, in their lives. And so I think sometimes just, just having something physical, uh, a symbol uh, in our hands or in our bodies, uh, are good reminders for us and can help us to kind of trigger those memories. Numbers 15, God tells the people of Israel, Make tassels on the corner of your garments throughout your generations and put a blue cord on the tassel of each corner to wear tassels on our clothing. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes. Right? So, so God commanded the Israelites to wear these blue tassels uh, on their clothing and that every time they, were, they, they would see it, they were to be reminded of God's commandments, and that they were to, to obey them. A, a physical reminder. Um, much like uh, some of you might, be, you might wear a cross uh, around your neck or something, uh, 
And, and just by the way, you know, please don't wear many crosses as a fashion statement. Just, that's just, wear one cross as a sign of your devotion, but it's, the cross is not a fashion statement, okay? Um, but, it, but that's something that, that can help you uh, to remember uh, of who um, you're following. Um, a, a wedding ring. Uh, many people wear uh, wedding bands after they're married. As a, again, as a symbol, as a sign to remind you of the commitments that you've made, right? Uh, when you see movies and these guys, you know, they're, they're at a bar and they, they want to commit adultery, like, they always take the ring off. Why is that? Because they know it's, it's, it's that reminder. And so sometimes just having something physical uh, as a reminder um, can keep us uh, in our faith. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, right? Each time we, we taste that wine, each time we touch that bread, that there is a kind of remembering. Um, and uh, churches have sometimes, you know, built the, the churches in the shape of a cross, again, so that the entire church is a symbol and a reminder. Sometimes it's in the sh- uh, shape of an ark to remind them, you know, that, of that experience. Um, and and I, I read about some churches now where um, when children, when infants are baptized, they'll actually save a piece of the cloth of the, the infants when they're baptized, and they'll save that, a piece of cloth, and they'll use that piece of cloth at the time of their burial. So that they'll be buried in the cloth in which they were baptized as a sign of the hope, the hope of life that is baptism. I thought, I thought that's, really, uh, that's really good. I thought, oh, I wish I knew that you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> Could have done it for my kids. That would have been, that would have been good. Um, so again, I, I don't want to, I'm not pushing for, you know, acts of superstition, you know. Uh, it's, I, I hope you don't get that sense at all. Um, I, I'm not encouraging you to go look for, you know, the original pieces of the cross to, as a souvenir. Um, there's no magical powers or anything like that. Uh, we're not to worship these things, obviously, whether it's the golden calf or the bronze uh, snake or a baptismal cloth, or, or anything like that. Um, they're only pointers at best, as Paul reminds us in Colossians 2. These are all shadows. These are all shadows. But the substance belongs to Christ. And so, so we always want to look to Christ, and if certain rituals and symbols help us to do that, then, then so much the better. And so today I just want to uh, take a look very um, briefly about how I think some traditions uh, in Jesus' life, shaped him uh, from our reading today. So Jesus has come home now uh, after having had two really amazing experiences. He's been baptized, uh, where he discovered with, with clarity who he is. He hears the voice of God that he is the beloved son with whom God is pleased. And then filled with the spirit, he's in the wilderness for 40 days, uh, hungry and thirsty, tempted uh, by the devil, um, to discover what it means to be the beloved son, to, to be in battle. And filled with the Spirit, uh, he comes from that period energized. It, it's really amazing. Luke tells us that you know, he's not exhausted from the fasting and the battling with Satan, but he's, he's energized, he's filled with power, uh, a power that is available to us, the same Spirit that enlivening Christ. That's the same spirit who lives in us. And so then on his way home, uh, he's teaching in the synagogues and, and people love, love him, his messages. And then we get to our reading today in verse 16. Uh, when Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his, cu- his custom, 
He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Uh, that's a, that's a really a beautiful verse. Um, you know, typically sermons focus on, on the, what was read and the teaching, but I, I want to spend a little time on this verse. It, it tells us that Jesus went to the synagogue in his hometown as was his custom. This is, this is his home church. This is a place of worship. And when he's there, he's seen all the people that he has been to worship for his entire life. It's like one of our kids going away to college or, you know, moving away for a few years and then coming back and they're going to come and share a testimony, right? He looks out and he sees everybody's known his entire life. And they know him. So, you know, he, he can't fake anything. Like, they, they know who he is. And he knows who they are. He has lived with the traditions, the rhythms of that worshiping community his entire life. They have shaped who he has become. Okay? It's not Jesus is like magically the son of God. They have helped shape his understanding of God. They've worshiped with him. They have talked to him about faith and about God. They're a part of what he has become. And, and he learned about God through the rhythms and the rituals of his worshiping community. He grew up in a home that followed the rituals of his faith. We know that Jesus was circumcised. He was presented at the temple. He took part in the annual Passover uh, feast. and so on. He followed the rhythms of the worshiping community. And he went to synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. As was his custom. We have every reason to believe that he and his family worshiped regularly every Sabbath day. Jesus learned about the faith and about God the same way that you and I learn about faith and about God as you live among and worship with a worshiping community. That's what Jesus learned. Proverbs 22.6 Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's what Mary and Joseph did for him. He grew up with the rhythms of worship. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so obvious, right? But this, this is a fundamental ritual that we have to follow. We have to commit to regular weekly worship as a basic ritual, as a basic rhythm in our lives. You have to make Sunday worship a priority in your life and in the life of your family. I mean, Jesus could have skipped worship, I suppose. <laughs> Must have been hard listening to the sermons, and probably the, the temptation to want to correct every preacher. But he went, you know, and, and he worshipped. He worshipped with everybody else. Uh, in fact, you know, so often he's criticized for breaking the Sabbath, right? That, that was one of the big knocks against Jesus, like he's breaking the Sabbath, he's breaking the Sabbath. Because most of the time he was breaking the Sabbath, he was in synagogue. He was where he was supposed to be. And he was doing what he was supposed to be. He was healing. He was fellowshipping. He was eating. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing, but, but he was criticized for that. But it was because he was there on the Sabbath. Um, you know, I know that uh, you, know, you and your families, you have a lot going on. Um, I know for some of you, you know, it's, it's a long drive and you know, kids get sick and everything else. Um, I know you could just stay home. Uh, listen to a podcast of the service of the sermon, or you could listen to a, a different preacher. Um, but you've got to make it a custom, a weekly ritual in the rhythm of your life. 
We have to worship in spirit and in truth, yes. But we also have to worship in body with the body of Christ. I think especially so today. Especially so today. You know, one of the interesting omissions in the Bible is that we have no record of Jesus spending any time in the nearby city of Sephoris. Uh, you know, it was, it was a Greek big city and like everybody probably went there and worked there. It's probable uh, in all likelihood that Jesus spent time there and worked there, uh, his dad certainly. Um, but there, there's no mention of that. Um, instead, we're told about his custom of being in the synagogue because that's what shaped him. That's what shaped him. Even though he's surrounded by Greek and Roman and and pagan cultures all around him, it was the life in that worshiping community that shaped who he became. Right? We're in the same situation. We're surrounded by all kinds of different traditions around us. And so we need the rhythm of this faith community in worship more than ever. Uh, I can tell you that um, I, how much I need it. Um, and I'm, I'm actually very, very thankful um, that uh, where, where I live, we live very close to a seminary, and the seminary has uh, weekday services. And so uh, usually Wednesday, um, I'll go to a chapel service. Uh, I'll go once a week. Um, because I need to just sit and worship. I need that in my life. I need that rhythm in my life. And so uh, it's, it's not ideal because these are not people I know very well, but, you know, um, I, I need those bodies next to me. I need to, to shake their hands and to be a part of a worshiping community and to just worship. Uh, I do my best not to critique the sermon or to think about how can I use that in my sermon. I'm, I'm just trying to worship. I'm try, just trying to worship. And so, you know, sometimes the services, there is no preaching. It's just uh, psalms and singing. So th- those are actually probably better for me. But just, just, just to worship with, with bodies. Um, it, it's, it's so vital. It's so vital. And, and I know that, that I need that uh, in my own life. Um, and notice here what Jesus says after the reading from the words of Isaiah. He says, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You know, we often interpret this to mean that Jesus is saying, the scripture has now been fulfilled in me. But that's not what he says. He says, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In your hearing this together. Jesus is pointing to their shared experience in worship in that preaching moment. The first word he says is today. Today. Today, together, while you're here, worshiping together, in the hearing of this, this scripture has been fulfilled. It's fulfilled because they were there together to hear it. Um, You know, we don't know a lot about what worship looked like in Jesus' day, but we have some information about worship services a little after Jesus' day. Uh, they were somewhat informal. There would be readings um, from, the, from the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, uh, as well as a reading from the prophets. Uh, they would recite the Shema uh, and the Decalogue. There would be these, uh, the benedictions and so on. And by this time, 
the readings from the Torah were uh, regularized. So they had a three-year cycle of reading, much like we have lectionary reading. So there was an assigned reading for the day. But it's unclear, and it seems to me it was unlikely, that the readings from the prophets uh, were systematized at this time. And so Jesus is handed the scroll from Isaiah. And I don't think that was the reading for the day. I think he's, he's, picking, the, I think he's picking, the, picking that reading. Um, he, so, so imagine this. It's a giant scroll, 66 chapters, and it's not a book where you can kind of turn to, and, right? He's got to like unroll it, and he's got to get to the part that, 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 he, uh, that he wants, and he's choosing to read this particular text for this particular moment. Um, you know, this weekend is the, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, birthday and uh, holiday. And I was reading about his, um, his a speech uh, in 1963 at the March on Washington, his, you know, the I Have a Dream speech. And I learned that, you know, he, he wasn't planning on giving that portion of the speech, uh, but that uh, in that moment, someone kind of prodded him to give that portion of the speech. And what I realized is that, you know, the I have a dream portion of that speech was a speech that he had already given multiple times. So it wasn't like something he just made up for that moment. It was a speech that he had preached. It was something that he believed. Others had heard about it. And in that moment, uh, he gave it again and gave it this, this new life in front of this, you know, the national audience and, and everything, uh, so on. And so I think something similar is happening here. Jesus has been preaching throughout the synagogues. I think he's been preaching the same message. And then so when he gets to uh, his hometown, uh, he's going to now give this sermon um, as a way of outlining his understanding of his mission and of his life. This is what God has called me to do. And so it's, that's what he does. He, he gets the scroll and then he unrolls it, and he finds... And, and look at the way Luke describes this moment. It's, it's really amazing, right? He says, every motion gets a word. It says, Jesus stood up to read. The scroll was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll. He found the place. He presumably then read it. And then the actions are just completely reversed. He rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and then he sits down. I mean, Luke just could have said, Jesus gave a message, right? I mean, but he highlights every single, he, he slows down this moment because it was such an important moment where Jesus says, this is my mission. This is what I'm doing. And this passage, it's, it's this proclamation for Isaiah, this promise of release for the people in exile in Babylon. And Jesus now uh, adapts it uh, for himself and his own mission. And, you know, if you compare the reading that Jesus gives to the reading that uh, is in Isaiah, it's a little bit different. There are a few phrases that are uh, omitted. Um, There's a a passage from another part of Isaiah that gets tacked on and so on. And so there's a lot of questions about, you know, is Luke misremembering things? Did Jesus misquote? Uh, like, why is there some of this uh, changes? Is it deliberate? Is it accidental? And so it, it's, it's unclear. But I think at least one omission on Jesus' part um, is very deliberate. 
Because in Isaiah, um, after the passage says, this is the year of God's favor, it says in the very next line, and the day of vengeance of our God. And Jesus leaves that phrase out. And I think it's deliberate because he's announcing the year of God's favor. It's good news that he's preaching. And it's not the way Isaiah was ordinarily preached. Because ordinarily that passage would be, would, uh, be preached. Here's good news for us. We are going to be freed. We are going to return to the promised land. And the day of God's vengeance is going to be upon our enemies. But Jesus' kingdom message is much broader. It's not just good news for us and destruction for them. It's the year of the Lord's favor for everyone. For the blind, for the poor, for the captives. Literally and metaphorically, those who are blind and can't see the spiritual truth. For those who are bound in prison and in sin, there is a message of hope and of release. Jesus is pointing to God's reign and the promise is for everyone. Um, I think the choice of this particular passage that uh, Jesus makes to describe his life and ministry uh, tells me that his mother must have had a particular influence in his life. Because his mother Mary, when she was told about the pregnancy, she sang this song, the Magnificat, and in her song are the, are the words, the seed words that are now echoed in Isaiah. Jesus grew up with a mother who was a student of the Bible, who knew God's word, and who sang this song when he, when, when he was just pregnant. I am certain, I am certain that Jesus grew up with his mom singing that song throughout his childhood. I, th- I think those words just became a part of who he is. Every night, um, I think that was a ritual uh, in his childhood. Um, in my uh, wife's family, every time we get together with um, my father-in-law um, and, and their families, um, he always insists that we sing a song. And we always sing, give thanks with a grateful heart. That, I mean, it doesn't matter. Whenever, whenever we're together, we have to sing that song. And so, you know, my kids, like, they just learned the words. They, you know, they didn't have to memorize it. Just because through repetition, it just became a thing. And so every time we see Grandpa, we know we're going to sing, give thanks with a grateful heart. Sometimes, you know, we've got to sing it two, three times, you know. Um, but that, that's a thing. And so the, these songs then have a way of kind of seeping into our lives. You know, these, these tunes get embedded in our memories. And, and it's, it's a way of forming us. So that even if we're not conscious of it, uh, we're living a way where we're trying, we're trying to give thanks. Give, give thanks with a grateful heart. That, that, that becomes, and we want it to become, a part of uh, who we are. Um, you know, I know that when I hear my kids or some of you pray uh, sometimes, I can hear little snippets, a, a little phrase. That's a little bit unusual maybe, but I know you learned it here. And I know that, that that's part of the, the, the formation, your, your spiritual formation, your discipleship, the way you are being made into like Christ is happening. It's through these rituals. That's how it happens. It happened with Jesus, and it, it's the same thing for us. And so, 
I'm confident that along with the, the weekly worship at the synagogue, Jesus had these regular rituals at home of Bible study, probably, and a prayer, certainly, and, and singing. Uh, these same patterns and rituals and traditions that we can all have in our homes, in our lives. Um, you know, children in particular, you know, scientists tell us, you know, they need these regular rhythms, these, these rituals t- to help them grow. And rituals of worship, of prayer, of uh, Bible study, I mean, it, it will set them up for life. It will set them up for life. Um, you know, I remember years ago, uh, a family came to our church, and um, during the conversation, they told me that they hadn't been to church in many, many years, um, but that they wanted to come back to church because now they had kids who were um, like, you know, I guess kindergarten, elementary school, and they said, you know, they wanted their kids to get, you know, some religion, to learn some morality, you know, help them behave better at home, you know, uh, you know, get a little more religious or something along those lines. And um, as I spoke with them further, it was very clear that they weren't interested in worshiping themselves. I mean, they, they could care less about being in service or, or anything like that. But they wanted a little religion uh, for their kids to make their kids, you know, better. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work. You, you can't do that. Unless you, you know, Pastor Danny and Pastor Dohi, they're, they're fantastic. I mean, they're, they're working their butts off. They're doing such great things uh, with your kids. Uh, but they can't do it for the, the time that they have them here. Unless you have these rhythms at home, it, it's not going to stick. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible. God works miracles, I know that. But it's going to make it really, really difficult unless you have those rhythms at home. Um, you know, last week I was so encouraged. One of the moms in our church uh, asked me about starting uh, devotions uh, with their kids. And so I recommended uh, some books to her. And she wrote back telling me that she's been doing it with her kids. And one of her kids told her that her New Year's resolution is to know more about God. I mean, I mean how cool is that, you know, when, when your kid says that? And it only works because she's doing it with her. Right? She, she's not like, here, here's, here's a devote, go, go do it. it. It doesn't work that way. Unless they see you loving God and worshiping and devote, like, it, it doesn't stick. You know? And then uh, she, she uh, also said, you know, I hope our family can make this a habit, a ritual, uh, that's my word, and learn together uh, in God growing, uh, in starting this year. That's it, right? And so she's creating a, a new ritual in her home uh, that's going to make an eternal difference. It, it, um, well, let, let me just give you one uh, exhortation. Um, you know, th- in thinking about this uh, this week, uh, the thing that I really uh, came away with for myself was I want to encourage you uh, to ritualize uh, a time of prayer. I want you to ritualize or work into your daily living times specified <laughs> Interruptive times of prayer. Uh, we all have rituals for our day. You know, maybe you wake up, you unload the dishwasher, you start the coffee machine, you listen to the news, you sip your coffee too slowly, reheat it in the microwave, and then you go to work. Maybe you do that. Um, you have nightly rituals, right? Maybe, maybe you like to watch Netflix or catch up on social media or play Candy Crush. I don't know. Like, whatever those rhythms in your life are, 
Uh, we all have them. Um, and, and so I want to I really encourage you to work in these rhythms of prayer, to ritualize moments of prayer uh, throughout your day so that prayer becomes, the thought of God becomes, the, you know, when you wake up um, throughout the day and your last thought uh, before you go to sleep. In the scriptures and throughout Christian history, the people of God have always had regularly scheduled times of prayer. In the book of Daniel, we read about how Daniel's enemies tricked the king into signing a law that forbid prayer to God under the threat of death. But the Bible says when Daniel knew, when he knew that this document had been signed, he went to his house where he had the windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Praying three times, even under these very distressful times, was a ritual that he kept to. And maybe that's what helped to kind of study him to do that. In the Psalms, there's the mention of praying in the morning and at midnight. In Psalm 55, it says, Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Psalm 118, seven times a day I have given praise to thee. And so by the first uh, century, uh, passages like this, uh, and in addition to the kind of the, the rhythms of the daily temple morning and evening sacrifices, people began to work these times into regular times of Worship, And so it meant that typically they might pray five times in a day at these regularly scheduled times. Um, the book of Acts clearly indicates that the Christians followed these norms of uh, prayer. Uh, we know that Jesus pr- prayed regularly, in all likelihood following these, these same rhythms of uh, prescribed prayers. Um, the Didache, an early church manual, uh, talks about first century Christians. They were expected to pray three times a day, uh, usually just, just the Lord's Prayer. And so over time then, uh, with the medieval church and, and, and other times, these uh, times were established so that um, in certain monastic communities you might have prayer of the hours where they're praying seven times a day. They, they would rise at midnight. They took some of these passages from the Psalms very literally. You know, at, at midnight I rise to praise you. Well, I'm going to do that. At midnight I'm going to rise and, and praise you. In the morning I will meditate. Uh, that's so they did that. And so, so we see this pattern uh, throughout the history. So uh, what I want to suggest to you is, uh, you know, probably you're not going to do it seven times a day. Uh, but if you're really gung-ho, uh, praise the Lord, go ahead and, go ahead and do that. Uh, but, uh, but I want to I challenge you to set a ritual of prayer uh, three times a day and, and work that into your life. And just for one minute, it doesn't have to be, um, I'm going to be very realistic here, because um, about a year ago, I tried to do this, where uh, I got a book that's like this thick, a book of prayers, and I thought, oh, I'm going to pray, you know, uh, seven times a day. But what I didn't realize was that it wasn't just a prayer, it was like a whole liturgy. <laughs> and it would take like 15 minutes to get through, and I, just, no, I can't do this, this is, this is impossible, right? So I, just, I abandoned that. Uh, but just three times a day, you all have, you know, smartphones and things that, that can kind of vibrate, and, and, right? So set the alarm for, for noon, for 3 o'clock, wh- whatever times you want, you know. Um, make, it a, make, it a, make it a pattern. It's maybe the first thing when you sit down at the office or wherever you're working. You know, before you start work, just, just, just say a 10-second prayer. God, 
Help me today to, to be faithful in my work. To you know, Whatever that prayer is, just, just start off with a prayer. And then at noon, um, I, I read this really wonderful prayer. Um, here, here's a prayer that you could pray uh, at noon. During, maybe after you come back from lunch. God of mercy, this midday moment of rest is your welcome gift. Bless the work we have begun. Make good its defects. And let us finish it in a way that pleases you. Through Jesus Christ, amen. I mean, isn't that a good prayer? Only takes 10 seconds. But, but it gets your mind set in a particular way. Um, if you don't know what to pray, go through the Psalms. Start with Psalm 117, only two verses. Only two verses. And, you know, if, if there's a Psalm that you like, Psalm 23, Psalm 1, Psalm 5, like, pray that Psalm every time until it becomes, until you just memorize it it becomes a part of your vocabulary. Um, that's, that's my encouragement to you. Um, I think that's the way that we pray without ceasing. You know, one of the benefits of when you have these set times, you find that prayer just becomes kind of, you just pray throughout the day. And you're praying without even really even thinking about it. But these patterns, these ritual moments uh, can, can lead us uh, into that. So some of you, you know, I know you, you, not, you don't like these kinds of rituals. You're not a traditionalist. I want spontaneous prayers. I, I don't want to be bound by the, you know, I'm not going to be a slave to my watch. Um, okay, but, but try it. <laughs> Just try it. Uh, it's, it's never too late. Uh, we have an opportunity every day to start anew. Every day to start anew. And, and I, I just want to encourage you to work these rhythms of prayer uh, into your daily life. Uh, let's, let's pray together. God, thank you um, for the rhythms that you have created um, in our day, uh, the sun and the moon, 24 hours, the week, the month, the year. Um, Help us, God, throughout the days to remember To remember you, who you are, and how we might live more faithfully in accordance with you. So God, we ask that we would have the courage, the discipline, the desire to love you more, uh, and maybe establish some rituals, particularly regular worship and of prayer. Help us to weave in to our daily living. These moments of mindfulness, of seeking your face. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.